0: You're listening to Inspired Edinburgh, a weekly interview show that brings you raw and powerful conversations with fascinating people from all walks of life. Our mission is to inspire and encourage you to reflect on your identity, beliefs, purpose and worldview. If you enjoy this, please subscribe for future episodes and feel free to contact us via any of our social media channels. Thank you in advance for taking the time to listen to the show and we hope you enjoy it. Welcome to Inspired Edinburgh, the home of powerful conversations. I'm Elliot Reeves and my guest today is Colin McLean. Colin is founder and CEO of SVM Asset Management, an independent Edinburgh-based fund management group. You have more than 35 years investment experience and are widely regarded as one of the UK's top stock picking analysts. You were elected to the Board of Governors of the CFA Institute in 2012 and are a past chairman and board member of the CFA UK. You're also a Fellow of the Institute and Faculty of Actuaries and a Chartered Fellow of the CISI. You're an honorary professor at Heriot Watt University, a regular contributor to financial publications, have been a guest on Bloomberg TV, CNBC, BBC TV and radio, and you frequently speak at conferences on the topics of investment, hedge funds, and Behavioural Finance. Colin, it's an honour to have you here. Welcome to the show. Thank you. <laughs> it's great to have you here. Um, and I, I'm really interested, I have to say, in kind of diving deep in yes, conversation thanks. with you. Uh, you have a very uh, fascinating background and yeah. Well, well, well thanks.
1: i am looking forward to it. Yeah,
0: very much so. So, I mean, in the beginning, if we could start with, you know, your early life and um, where you grew up and kind of what that overall experience was like for you. Um I was
1: born abroad. My father worked for Shell in Venezuela. However, I didn't spend very long there. So this was a very, very early stage. And most of my upbringing then was thereafter in Scotland, in Glasgow mainly, although subsequently I moved through to Edinburgh. So I spent most of my formative years in Glasgow.
0: Right. Okay. And that's obviously where you studied as well. Uh, yes, I went to, I,
1: actually, my, my father was a, a lecturer at Glasgow University and so quite a lot of uh, the uh, the family was built around that. And uh, mm-hmm. that, particularly given I was interested in economics, that seemed, uh, you know, a natural place to, you know, to, to go. So yeah. I, I did consider other places, but I uh, ended up thinking that uh, Glasgow University had quite a good reputation in, in economics.
0: Mm-hmm. So when did your your interests in economics and investments first begin?
1: Um, I, I think the economics sort of naturally took me into investment, but I also um, combined that with economic statistics, and, mm-hmm. and it was really in that area that I started work. So the that is, I started work as, a, as an actuarial trainee and, and doing actuarial work. So that, that's quite sort of statistical and, and Arithmetical, really, and so on, as well, and um, it was only after a couple of years of of doing those exams, I, I saw the opportunity in the life assure I was in to maybe understudy the general manager in investment. I, and I think it's interesting that the the investment world was quite different at that stage, stage mm-hmm. in the in the um, I suppose by then the, the late nineteen seventies, and it wasn't so much of the uh, sort of high-powered investment banking, or even that high-paid at the time, really. To, you know, really? to be honest, it, it was much more something where a lot of actual people went into it. A bit more of a geeky thing, I think. Really, you know, it was <laughs> it was calculating, you know, the compound interest and other things. So yeah. it was, in fact, we didn't even uh, value the portfolios at market value. So it was, uh, you know, sort of annually at, at book cost and so on. Okay. So <laughs> so so it was it was a, a sort of world in which... I thought investment was quite interesting and going to move in an interesting way, but mm-hmm. there wasn't a huge amount of sign of that, to be honest. And it wasn't purely because the, the the pay wasn't there, really, you know. Yeah.
0: So, so was it something that you had an affinity with? Because it was a talent that you had. Was it something that you were quite good at?
1: I possibly then, yes. I, I, did, I, I did did initially a you know, I I think when I started off, I was given a lot of, you know, a lot of responsibility opportunity there. Mm -hmm. And yes, you know, I I did find ways in which I could apply what I knew and what I'd learned and and so on into investment and into stock picking. And there was quite a lot of things just sort of emerging at the time, really. So it it was a time when the, the. perversely, although it's only now that passive investment index investing has got very big, mm-hmm. in the in, in the 1970s and even into the 1980s, uh, uh, there, w- there was a very strong belief that the market was very efficient. The academic uh, position was that it was perfectly efficient and you couldn't really do terribly well stock picking. Uh, and in fact, in terms of research, it was only with a Robert Shiller in 1982 that he really sort of undermined that. He, he got a Nobel laureate a couple of years ago but that, that that it wasn't until the 80s that people started thinking that there was much more opportunity in investment because the the orthodoxy was this this sort of a hey, there's nothing there to, to you know to, to beat there's nothing there to, to do uh, so yeah I found that interesting. I suppose I hadn't really got a lot of experience with with companies I mean all, all, all my family and for that matter, just about all my relatives the public sector, so it wasn't something mm-hmm. that I was deeply imbued with in, in mm-hmm. the family. And I, I meet plenty of people in investment that are like that—that that, that it's not come particularly from from any deep early indoctrination and, <laughs> yeah. into, into the corporate world. You know, it was it was quite a different different world for my for my family I, altogether. But I did find it interesting, and I think I think half the um, uh, the, the 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 route to Success in something is having a general interest and, and a genuine curiosity about it as mm-hmm. well. So uh, that that I did have, and 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 that made me really work quite hard. Still at learning, I, I would say to mm. you know to anyone really at at an early stage, you know, in, invest in your edu- education and and do something you enjoy. You know, but but in, in particular, uh, it's a very formative period in your twenties, and you really want to mm. work quite hard at getting as much experience as you can.
0: Yeah absolutely that's great advice what were your your early aspirations when you started working and and how did your career sort of unfold um, i i
1: i could see quite early on that the sort of way that life assurers did things you know, could give way to i mean already there were some unit trusts around and and that 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 investment was by far the more more interesting, a uh, you know, part and, and ultimately potentially the more valuable part of of the whole savings proposition. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I moved, you know, quite early on after that to, to get the Life Assurer to set up uh, set up unit trusts and to try and separate that out as a division. A, a lot of these things were, and including, you know, hiring women at the time and things like that, there was a lot of things I did then in mm-hmm. the... Uh, I, I, from the late seventies through to into the eighties, that were not common at all. Then, you know, the, quite at half the time, they, they were quite they were quite different, you know. Yeah. Uh, and uh, uh, the 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 big life assurers at, at the time, uh, you know, the Standard Lifes and others, mm-hmm. had very small unit trust operations, but um, they 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 didn't see them as being as valuable because. It wasn't the sort of margin in them they are much finer margin businesses, and therefore you couldn't incentivize the sales people- as well but mm-hmm. uh, they were actually a much as much simpler way to run people's investments you know not everyone needed the you know needed life assurance, so the potential just for having more equity investment uh, investing in shares and be able to do well in that mm-hmm. as the eighties uh, and nineties unfolded. More and more people got aboard that, but I would say even up into the late eighties, it was, it it, it it still wasn't the choice of many of the the life insurers to go down that that route. And uh, I definitely got an uh, you know an advantage by setting up within the insurer a separate investment division and having some you know incentives and rewards around that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I. I I very quickly realised, though, that 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 division became more valuable than the life assurance company had been around for 100 years, but it, very quickly, the investment division was more valuable, just more profitable, and I realised within a mutual entity at that time, it was quite difficult to be rewarded for that. So it was quite, a, you know, it, it, it really, it had outgrown, and, and I guess my own aspiration had outgrown that mutual life assurance environment.
0: Yeah, yeah. Y- you... Um... I know that you worked with uh, Sir John Templeton. Yes. You were Managing Director of uh, the European Operations yes, yes. there. And then in 1990, it was that you co-founded uh, SBM. Yes. What made you decide that you eventually wanted to run your your own organisation?
1: It happened in a couple of stages and with, with some encouragement from others. I, I, I moved as a, as an interim stage. I moved and became... A CIO of a uh, chief investment officer at, at Scottish Provident, a, 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 and was there a couple of years, and a, 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 that, that involved running a much bigger fund and you know fifty people in bigger, bigger division within a, an overall organisation that that had several hundred people, a, and so it gave me a, you know an opportunity just to see how things were done in a bigger, a bigger way, mm-hmm. but I also realised if I was going to set up my own business there was a bigger talent pool in edinburgh and it was going to be a lot easier to you know to set up here so mm-hmm. i think that was at the back of my mind when I, I you know when i came came to edinburgh then in in the in the mid 80s and uh, i i spent a couple of years of that and then was i uh, head hunted by by templeton and uh, and that was quite that was a, a sort of pure equity business but in quite a in a global scale, it, it's remarkable yeah. that it was it was quite an early stage business, though so it was quite valuable at the time. Probably worth four or five hundred million at the time, and and was acquired thereafter by by, by Franklin. But it, but it, it, got me to work with Sir John Templeton, who was based in the the, the Bahamas, and a, with Tom Hansberger, both of whom now, now passed. But yeah. but a a Tom Tom Hansberger was a based in based in florida uh, running their business and uh, it, it it gave me a a lot to learn about global businesses and uh, the way in which they they launched funds I, I helped them launch the emerging markets fund in the u k they didn't mm. have in fact i helped them reshape the emerging markets proposition into a, into what's really known today because <laughs> it it was a it, it was a much narrower type of business before so it, it gave me this sudden exposure, really, to see even another level that equity could be done on this global basis and, and the distribution could be done in a different way as well. So yeah. I, I think then in setting up my own business, you could certainly... I, you know, counting the fingers of one hand, the number of people who who had in Europe, you know, set up businesses. It was uh, <laughs> a, 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 a couple of David Williams in in Scotland, Gilles uh, Frenet in in Paris. One or two others had done it, but not too many mm. had set up from from scratch a that type of that type of business, even just at that at that stage. But a. And Templeton has showed me it could be done, so you know yeah. I, I wouldn't be able to do it without all those experiences.
0: What were some of the biggest challenges that you faced in doing that? Um, I think a lot
1: of resistance from competitors and others. You know, I, I think I, I think I think there still wasn't. That, that I would equally say that there was a lot of. Support at the time, you know, not just Scottish financial enterprise, but a lot of others were very pleased to see say, Templeton come to, to Edinburgh and then and then for, in, for me setting up. So mm-hmm. I, uh, you know, I certainly wasn't mm-hmm. without support and friends in that. But uh, uh, plenty of you know, if you if you go down a, a path less travelled, there's plenty of <laughs> opposition and, <Yeah>. and uh, <laughs> you know, sort of naysaying goes 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 with that as well. So I, um, but. You know, equally, you know, don't do it if you can't take that. You know, yeah, really. Absolutely. So, so that that was just a little bit more of a more of a challenge. Um, but uh, other than that, no, the regulatory stuff and other things weren't weren't really, a, you know, a big issue initially. Just building up the initial critical mass, the initial, you know, clients, you know, was important.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is probably a question that will likely appeal to people that have more of a an interest in investing specifically, but how would you describe your investment approach and your investment philosophy?
1: I, it's adapted a bit over the years, and I, I'd like to think, I, you know, I keep learning not just about investment, but, you know, some of the framework. I, one of the things I, I did put a lot more effort in the... I, Probably really from the late nineties into was learning more about behavioural finance and the impact of psychology, mm-hmm. um, and so that that's something that's also helped. I, I do a little bit less small company stuff than I did, you know, before just because there's there's not the liquidity perhaps for what we're running. Um, but uh, it's still the same combination of of financial predictions and and understanding uh, accounts, and and as you build up experience, there's more of a. Framework for understanding the range of likely outcomes and, and looking for warning signals in companies and so on, mm-hmm. but it's a combination of that and 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 I guess a, a reading of, of character and of individuals and 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 commitment and so on. Hmm. So, it's a, it's a combination of those things. So I suppose initially, in investing, was much more based on on valuation. Uh, there were prejudices against companies that were service companies. Capital light, so there was much more of a market focus on traditional capital intensive ones, and they were the very ones whose balance sheets were being destroyed by what was high inflation at the time so a market perception was that, I, that that more labor intensive skills related businesses you know the assets checked out at five o 'clock every night and you know what did you own. Um, but um, I could see, in fact, you, you could build a, you know, a franchise around those things, and there was value in those businesses. As things have moved on, I suppose we're still trying to look at what is proprietary, what franchises they are, what what kind of moats there are around a business, what the defence yeah. there is about the uh, about the margins it, it's got. So I would say i'm I'm less of a of a deep value investor, certainly not as Templeton was, but it's not as much value as it was either um because there are risks in that, so in the past, much more looking i was much more looking for companies with margins that were below their industry average and being remanaged or you know catching up probably now look much more for companies that have got an intrinsic franchise um some proprietary value that allows them to to reinvest in that and and sustain superior growth over a over a period of time so a little mm-hmm. bit more because uh, ultimately if you if you do get it right in valuation initially and buy something cheaply a you know that that's a plus but if you do own it longer term unless you're trading those companies uh, you know a a, a lot or every few years ultimately your returns in the portfolio are going to converge towards what they underlying returns on the company and, and they might leverage it up a bit or whatever they might manage to find some some way of enhancing it that generally doesn't persist either so it's just within a... so, so thinking of companies as a business is the way to do it rather than worrying too much about earnings per share
0: mm-hmm.
1: so that's always been my style is 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 to a uh, to, to think step back and think much more of them as businesses which are you know people like Warren Buffett are good exponents Very of much that so. yeah um, but yeah. Uh, as I say, it's surprising that that there was that sort of disruption and new businesses emerging. I think in the in the eighties because we're back at that again just now, and I think it's it's a really exciting time now when there's lots of new disruptive business models coming along, and mm-hmm. that really can pay off for a good analyst. Even a you know private individual as an analyst can can find businesses that I. Can potentially, you know, sort of beat the established, bigger boys. Suddenly, yeah. big old brands and loyalty to that is sort of breaking down. So, I've, mm-hmm. I've always, I've always wanted sort of growing businesses rather than, you know, I've never been one that's really been that enthused about buying old chemical companies and, and things <laughs> like that. You know,
0: what about tech investing?
1: I don't do a pure tech investing. I don't think I've got the expertise for that. Mm. There's uh, the 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 big disruptive patterns now are are tech is part of it, changing tastes are part of it. Uh, I mean, uh, uh, a <clears throat> a good part of what gave me the opportunity to set up a business was the arrival of spreadsheets and other things. I realised I didn't need to buy lots of stuff to be able to manage my business uh, and, mm-hmm. on a PC, big big thing at the time. You know, it was, mm-hmm. uh, uh, but that 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 let you sort of uh, you know run. You know, scale down and, and run a run a a business. So I realised you could use those tools again. There's new tools coming along now, but the key to a lot of businesses now is it's not just different technology. They're appealing to to different tastes. You know, and it's not just millennials. I think there's a broad ranging change mm-hmm. in tastes. So when you look at a, a companies we own in portfolios like like Fever Tree Drinks, it's a mm-hmm. good example of something that has in a very short space of time sort of come almost from nowhere dislodged long-standing, you know, drinks providers Mm -hmm. uh, on the back of a wave of interest in gin, but also on craft and and different experiences. And you can just see how all of those things come together. And Mm -hmm. technology is not a big part of that. And there are other ones where there's a bit more on technology, but technology is letting a lot of, you know, a lot of new people come come along with new business models. But, Mm -hmm. Uh, they still have to get to a to a critical mass. They have to something you know original to offer, um, but suddenly the uh, a lot of old established businesses, uh, banks, uh, high street, you know retailers and so on, are all under relentless uh, attack. You know, and yeah. and it's a uh, so it's partly technology and partly changing tastes.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Good answer. Really, very yes. interesting. Yeah. I have to say, really interesting. This is, will probably need to be caveated by saying that um, if people are looking to invest, they should always consult an advisor or be aware of the risks in doing so. What are some of your your sort of favourite businesses that you personally invest in and why? Um, we we
1: like a, a lot of those businesses that are almost almost have unique business models. I mean, they are doing something a, a little a little bit different. A, a characteristic of Quite a lot of them is that they're they mid capitalization medium sized business. Medium sized can go up to five billion. You know, it's quite it's quite <laughs> yeah. quite big companies. Some of those are, are in the AIM market, which brings a you know the alternative investment market brings additional risks. Some companies are choosing to to stay on on that because they don't really need to raise the money that the you know that going on the footsie maybe implies. So you get a number of of companies <clears throat> that are on AIM that. Are business models that don't need much more capital, or they found ways of funding internally. So something like ASOS is as, as a, a, a distributor. I, once you've built the online model, then it scales. Much as I'm saying with Fever Tree, it's, it's found a way of of licensing out. It doesn't produce, so it licenses out. Mm-hmm. Uh, Burford Capital's another large AIM stock that has, has found a way of, of investing in litigation and so on, and it's found a way of using other money to you know. To help manage that and help scale that business up. Mm-hmm. Uh, one one I mean, the biggest holding we've got just now is Hutchison China Meditech, which is a name listed company, but uh, it, it, it has a pharmacy products in China, but it also has a license for cancer research there and works with bigger companies. It's been able to use the funding out of the retailing. Product business mm-hmm. fund the research and now it's got some you know some potential you know cancer drugs that are <clears throat> uh, progressing quite well on 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 research so each of those they, they they they've got something quite special and different so they need a lot of you know understanding and and we have the, we're fortunate to be able to meet the management over a period of time and and get comfortable with that and the strategy mm-hmm. but they don't quite they don't quite attract in all the bigger investors, you know. So so there's still something that, that active managers and, and analysts and even private investors can can sort of research and, and find. So
0: mm-hmm.
1: we quite like uh, we quite like those ones. So a characteristic of some of the companies is that they're not overnight successes. They are doing something over a period of time that's mm-hmm. that's that's special and sustainable, has some superior margins, and there may be some reason why. Despite that, maybe looking obvious to us, <laughs> uh, maybe because it's on aim, other people don't want to buy it, or they still don't quite under, understand it. There's still still something that that puts them off, you know, and mm-hmm. and, and, a, uh, and and lets that persistent superior return continue. Uh, and a lot of those are they they don't actually fit in a in a sector, you know. They're, they're maybe just a combination of businesses or a particular particular business. Model that's that's just that's just different, mm-hmm. and uh, and and that that by itself is something of a barrier to analysis. People, you know, are, yeah. are just a little, a little bit more sceptical. Right? But that's where the you know I think the profits are to be made.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What do you think makes a great investor? Um, I mean, I've met
1: all different you know types and backgrounds and so on. So there's no, there's no you know formula or mould for that really. Um. Most are curious, you know, and I think that's a good analytical ability because you you do have to keep on gathering information and learning all the time. So, mm-hmm. being genuinely curious about what makes companies uh, tick, and that includes, you know, uh, the, the the very often these analysts, you know, you sit in a restaurant and they'll count the number of covers and what the margin is, <laughs> and you know, they'll really go into a you know into a shopper business without sort really? of working out whether it's a good business and and what the <laughs> economics are. It's just. Um, and and that just builds up your understanding, you know. It's it's um, so so that curiosity, um, patience because you know this stuff does take time, you know, and uh, and resilience. You know, we're speaking at a a time just now when markets are going through some volatility, as they call it, which generally means that uh, you know <laughs> stock prices are are are, are falling, and yeah. um, you, you I, I, or you find individual investments you made don't turn out as as you expect, so. You need to be able to, you know, sort of come back and, you know, rebuild your performance, rebuild your confidence and understanding, or, or at times, you know, admit you're wrong and realize before, you know, something is a, you know, a total loss or wipeout in a company, realize that your analysis is 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 wrong or your time scale's wrong. Yeah. So I think that that sort of pragmatism of of accepting, you know, when you're wrong, the resilience of riding through difficult. Difficult times, the, the the patience just to you know to last, and uh, the uh, initially the curiosity to to keep learning.
0: Yeah. Hmm. You wrote a, an article recently, essentially talking about in 2018 it would be easy for investors to become Im, Im, sorry complacent due to reasonably yeah. strong um, recent performance. Essentially, mm. so how do you avoid making emotional decisions when you're investing and how do you avoid falling into the trap of being complacent?
1: Uh, It's it's difficult because you know emotion is very much part of what we do and to some extent it's not all a bad part you know the the gut feel you have about something uh, instinct uh, you know is is all a part of us understanding things. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's important I mean I still spend time on accounts analysis and I think it's still quite important to, to look plainly at the numbers that you're getting in the company updates. Mm-hmm. Uh, companies do put the best loss or spin on, on what they're they're delivering or even mm-hmm. on problems and there's there's scarcely uh you know of, of these businesses that are being disrupted, most of them are spinning out the, the the issues or explaining it as something temporary or something you can deal with. And and that in the past was what we heard from HMV and and uh, yeah. you know Woolworths, lots of those companies that uh, ultimately couldn't couldn't turn it around. So you're surrounded every day with a, an awful lot of that that spin and, and and hype and so on in companies, and you need to make sure that you're looking at the at the numbers as well, and and that you're you sort of strip out that 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 hype. Hmm. Um, but uh, the the complacency, I mean, the disciplines are just. I mean, if if I hadn't sold any shares in Hutchison China, which is you know has tripled over the last year, I would have holdings of over ten percent in the funds. That that represents an overconfidence mm-hmm. uh, in, in an individual company that that isn't prudent. So, <laughs> I, you you have to you know to sell some even even as it goes up, you know, to to a to maintain a discipline as 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 well. So yeah, I so so I think having certain uh, work, working in a team is helpful because other people can can you know help keep you straight about individual or, or ask questions about about companies. But uh, you know that's another sort of aspect that's needed about dis- is, is discipline and <clears throat> some of the um, some some of the behavioural issues in psychology and investing is best dealt with by by structure and framework and. Uh, and deciding how portfolio is going to be structured, uh, how your trading is going to be structured, and not trading too much, and and mm-hmm. uh, and all of those things. And over time, too, understanding what your your own personal you know weaknesses are. I, I mean, I, I I deal with that in with that pragmatism, for example. Very often, if something is going wrong, or, or there's a company announcement that's not what I expect, and it's uh, and maybe even the share price falls, um, but it's more more if the information doesn't confirm my investment thesis, I may sell a third of it, and and there's nothing magical about that. But it, it does it does then leave you with a smaller problem if it's lo- wrong. If you're right, then it leaves you with plenty of opportunity still to make money, you know. So, mm-hmm. but it, it's part of the discipline of just stepping back a bit when things are not looking, you know, right or like you, you've been correct. So So, the framework for dealing with psychology is is a number of routines like that, a framework and a discipline
0: mm-hmm. i i'd imagine an enormous amount of introspection is required as well
1: i, I think of the, the times when markets are difficult you know the resilience mm-hmm. and and a i i it is you know a, a lot of investors and a lot of people in markets are you know are quite quite smart people and and mm-hmm. a uh, often intelligence is used to rationalise what you do rather than question <laughs> what you do. You know, so so you're so you're in a world, and, and companies provide you with that. So th- there's an awful lot of, of spin on things, and a lot of uh, you know, argument for you know in favour of things, and and not enough questioning or or mm-hmm. reversing of of <laughs> positions and so on. You know, so so yeah. you need to, uh, you 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 need to be pragmatic, and and uh, you need to use the additional information you get to you know to to question a the investment and there are some things that go wrong or don't don't deliver what you mm-hmm. you expect
0: mm-hmm. I found an article, funnily enough, it was a year, it was published a year ago today, mm-hmm. um, which spoke about, uh, you were commenting on CEO uh, re- remuneration for mm-hmm. high level yes. uh, FTSE 100 executives. And there was a quote from it, which I'm not sure to what degree this has changed in the last 12 months. I suspect it hasn't changed greatly. It says, total pay for FTSE 100 chief executives is now 150 times higher than pay for the average worker, which I find quite alarming. Um, what are your your views on CEO remuneration and what do you think should be done in order to intervene with it? I, I think um,
1: I mean it's an issue not just for the UK so governments in, in Europe and US and so on are gradually getting their minds around it and and there's other way there's other aspects of of board structure and so on as well that you know, the diversity and so on that's that needs needs fixing too so mm-hmm. there's a lot of different initiatives different rules uh, some of the rules haven't worked a uh, so so well now publishing more information starts to give more more scrutiny uh, what i saw last year was the beginning of a lot more engagement by investors and we're, we're, you know, starting in, in the work I, I do to bring more responsibility, sustainability, stewardship into mm-hmm. what we do and, and stepping up engagement with, with companies. So I think, I think that, that, that matters. The bit about incentives, it's not actually so much what they're paid, and, and that may grate in some people, sure. but for, you know, multi-billion pound businesses, in a sense while well, it might look ridiculous for someone to be paid several million pounds or or 20 it, it's it's not by that itself that's going to make too much difference to the the investment over longer longer term but it's the actual incentives that are built in that make the chief executives do things that 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 you know aren't in the interest so if you a uh, if if you have a a, a chief executive incentivizing a particular thing he is going to focus on that, and and that might um uh, mean that um uh, it might even mean some distortion of accounting or how things are represented. For companies in the past as' I've run into problems, say like Tesco, uh, mm-hmm. before before the the current chief executive, there were signs in the incentivization that it was producing you know a number of mm-hmm. you know a number of things and and changing. Company behavior, that additional taking of risks that we that we found uh, with it, seem applied to before to, to BP under the previous chief executive and so on as well. So mm-hmm. even on big companies, and uh, sometimes in, on big ones, it stops the stops the company perhaps from dismantling or changing its structure if the chief executive is still incentivised in a division that he doesn't want to sell. I'm thinking of companies like like Laxo then as as well that. Mm-hmm. that uh, uh, and again, think of previous chief executives, but, but uh, you, you can so you can get a, a distortion of corporate behaviour, and you can get a distortion of corporate culture. You can, as we saw, with ones like like Tesco, you can create quite a quite a poor corporate culture because the, the tone at the top very often sets behaviour elsewhere. Yeah. So uh, so an incentive, and and it, it overall can set quite a short term behaviour. I for drugs companies like, like Glaxo, the, the whole cycle of researching a drug, you know, right right through from beginning to end to production, be twelve years or so, but mm. very little incentivization goes beyond five years and only a small part of it.
0: Hmm.
1: So for other companies that 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 short term focus and a focus on earnings per share and a, you know in particular metrics, an awful lot of companies still focus on the share price performance you know and 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 that does that gets away from how the business is doing longer term so mm-hmm. so a uh, so the 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 sort of short termism of the time frame the corporate structure corporate behavior aim um, and the culture and you know are all influenced by just one or two in incentives mm-hmm. and a uh, it, it may be the smallest part of Remuneration, but people hmm. are awfully directed by those incentives, and that remuneration, even a few million, might be a very small part of the business. But uh, it it uh, it does set a, 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 a tone that's that's wrong, and I think that's mm-hmm. where shareholder intervention, government intervention, and so on can all help. But yeah. I, I think the answer is is to encourage much more. Disclosure of some of those relationships and some of those patterns, and, and just encourage more voting and participation. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't mean for this to sound like a leading question; it might well do. Mm-hmm. Um, why is capitalism a good thing? I, <laughs> I, I, I think it's it's
1: it, it has been at the root of you know creating a lot of prosperity in the com- countries that have had more of it. I have certainly. In economic growth terms, you know, mm-hmm. delivered more for the most part. I there can be arguments about how that you know cake is divided and and mm. and where the benefits of growth most go. I there's obviously that's something that governments and regulators and so on and and investors can all intervene with to to direct. But uh, the uh, <coughs> the actual a. Uh, Focus on you know on efficiency and growth and so on is you know does does quite a good job of matching a Capital up with the best returns and with the best managers a a, of corporate managers. So I think the 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 whole and you know While there may be you know many might not want particularly to have a US structure the fact is that we have these companies like Google and Facebook and Amazon and others, exactly, you know, they have yeah. been created out of out of that previous, you know, generations. Uh, you know, have created, you know, a uh, G and and Ford and plenty, plenty of others, you know, and yeah. so on as well. So, um, the, even now we can see some of those, you know, big creations coming coming out of of of, of there. Uh, as to be said that uh, you know, China is creating some some too, you know, but. Uh, creating them almost more as it moves, it's not a mixed economy, it's still a communist economy. But mm-hmm. I I what I I do see and I've travelled even over the last three months to you know to to Vietnam and Thailand and other places and it's amazing the just what a little bit of market pricing and interest in in a in directing capital and and it's gone there with communism and with controls, but mm. a little bit of that is creating quite a lot of dynamism <laughs> in in the economy and it's created in vietnam it's it's helped to create a you know a a new a Low-cost air carrier, you know that that lets everyone travel from one end of the country to the other, you know, where really? cheaply where they couldn't before, and that's come because an entrepreneur has seen the opportunity there and mm-hmm. challenged the state-owned company, and that's happened within a communist country, you know. But uh, so, so a so even in in mixed economies or communist ones, the the extent to which you you start pricing opportunities helps a bit, you know.
0: Mm-hmm. You touched upon this earlier, but I'm just kind of interested in the ways in which the asset management industry is is different today than it was when you when you first started. A, it's
1: changed in quite a lot of ways. Although the root of company analysis and stock picking and putting that into a portfolio and so on, a lot of that, you know, the the root skills are, are very similar. The skills needed are similar. Mm-hmm. The um, and the infrastructure around that to comply and manage risk and so on is all different. So there's there's a, a you know a much stronger framework there. Some of that risk management is is good and is is helpful. Mm-hmm. I and a, there's a, a lot more a, a ability to to use the, the technology to I mean even to understand your own behavioral issues and so on. There's yeah. there's a lot of technology that does that now as, as well. I, it, partly for regulatory reasons, there's a lot more standardization now of portfolios. And I, I personally don't think in performance terms that's necessarily helped. And, and you know, as evidence, that performance we've had in, in the mid-cap or medium-sized companies uh, which are tend to be owned more by by specialist active managers like ourselves and other mm-hmm. boutiques rather than the biggest life assurers and pension funds which own more of the bigger FTSE companies mm-hmm. that 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 performance difference is maybe because there's a little bit more flexibility and uh, you know being being applied to to investment and and less of trying to scale things up so so the scaling up uh, you know into big big investment firms I I don't think Nestle has delivered better performance, although it delivers better pay, perhaps for for <laughs> for people better risk controls and so on. A framework there that's that's good too. Mm-hmm. I I think investment is in the process of moving a, a bit more into a polarization between the 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 very low cost index investment, what we call passive investment, that's just based on indices. Yeah. I, that that is based on the indices being sort of right in the sense that that they represent an economy or that the share prices are right and efficient, and yet those people that use those indices are not putting anything into researching those. They're relying mm-hmm. on, on others to do it. I and I, I think a number of active managers think, well, why should we just research those and let these people have a free ride? And <laughs> uh, actually, there's more interest a bit further down the the size scale, and. Uh, and actually, there's a lot more opportunity where you're not working in things that are priced, and, and these are broadly alternative investments, a buying property, hedge funds, private equity, infrastructure, yeah. all of these, you know, I, I would say to younger people looking for an opportunity really to exercise flair. It's, hmm. it's a, there's a lot more opportunity where, you know, you, you can work with something where you you. You, know, you don't have to accept market prices initially and and there's a lot more mispricing mm. and you can put your analysis to work so so I think the, the the more talented active managers are moving into areas of the market where there are more opportunities and anomalies I, and away from those sort of big companies and into some of the private interests as well so mm-hmm. I see that trend continuing in the developed world and in other areas as I was saying in in a you know China Vietnam and India no they're they're still looking to more mainstream companies and for them to list yeah
0: mm-hmm. what are some of the ways that you think that the industry might be disrupted over the the coming years and you know and and, and I wonder in, as well in terms of um you you deal predominantly with institutional investment but how many of the younger generations are actually investing their money in you know, um, managed funds.
1: <laughs> yes, prob- probably. I mean, I wouldn't say there was necessarily many were doing it. You know, when I was was a was young, but a it's a pretty important thing to do. You know, and yeah. if you're not, if you're not a sort of doing it yourself, and I wouldn't say that a, a pension structure is, is always the best way of doing it. You can get more flexibility buying, perhaps investing in a in an ISA or something else at some. You know, there the, are so there are different ways of of building up a lump sum, which gives you some flexibility. Younger people can afford to take more risk; they've got a big long horizon, and so they can more mm. ride through things. Um, but uh, putting some savings aside is is you know is important. Although, as I said earlier on investing in your own human capital is a pretty important thing to do as well and people should not distract from that so which may be still further exams getting more experience or other things but you know that that's that, that's the first best investment people can make certainly in their 20s even to early 30s but uh, starting you know putting some money aside eventually for for pension or other flexibility or career breaks or things like that you know they should have that aside Um, so it, that that's De- definitely worth having having you know some separate uh, savings for and and i i would still say having some control over themselves rather than a you know actually like a big pooled uh, arrangement so mm-hmm. there are there are risks perhaps in some of the the uh, you know in the in the in the u s people invest a in some of these low cost index funds and of course what they are buying now is a, a lot of investment into a into Facebook and and Google and so on, and a, these have been remarkably successful. But a, if you're investing for retirement like that, you're you're making a big bet on thirty <laughs> years or forty years, and a, you know companies like Facebook already were seeing it, it's facing some decline in you know in user numbers and changing the models. Yeah, it still hasn't really faced. The big Chinese giants, the the ten cents Alibabas, and and others that are there. So mm-hmm. we don't yet know how that'll pan out. Mm-hmm. Um, so that there's a in in finance, I think there are more low cost investment models going to come along, and that would make it simpler for people to to invest. I, already, I think a lot of people will be familiar with some of the uh, credit cards, things like Monzo and so on, which yeah. I, I mean, I find remarkably useful for traveling. And and, a, yeah. a, and a, it, it, it actually gives you just a lot more control over what you're doing at lower cost. That's the danger, I think, for some of the you know, some of the investment that people want the stuff, you know, it's not just digital. They want it mobile, and they want that control over it. You know, not that you have to see how your investments are doing all the time. But I think people, mm. you know, it's the experience, and they probably do want more of an ethical and and sustainable yeah. wrap around what they're doing as well to feel good about it. So I think I think I think the disruption for investment is about moving it more into that area and making it more of an experience and and more practical and. Uh, the the access that people have to active managers or stock picking may just be a part of what they they do. But mm-hmm. I think people will want some experience, some ownership, and and some ready accessibility to what they do.
0: Yeah, I think you're right. Definitely, definitely. What do you think is the best piece of uh, advice in terms of wealth creation?
1: <laughs> um, I, I I think if if people do a you know do save they can't you know I know it's people are not saving quite so much but I think you can build up you know sort of you know assets over over the, the longer term so I it takes a certain a certain discipline that maybe goes against the millennial grain really you know to, to, to do that you know there's no doubt but I I I had a lot of flexibility at the time I set up business and moved through just from Investments I'd made in the eighties, and I did initially do that on borrowed money. You know, I, I you really? know, I, I sort of, I, I, I think I had a borrowing facility with a credit card, which I think they never expected people to actually use. But I went along <laughs> to the bank manager, insisted, and and did that. So a, a, an element of of risk taking at very very a very early stage. But yeah. I, I'm not suggesting people do that. But but I think I think a. You know, I think making, you know, some, some savings certainly give you, it gives you an awful lot of, of flexibility sort of, not just for retirement, but perhaps at key stages where you maybe want to shift Mm -hmm. career or take time out or do some other, other course. I think it, it ultimately gives people a bit more control and ownership of, of, of their career and how they integrate that career with the rest of their lifestyle is, you know, is to have a little bit of a, a cushion there, and have have ownership of of that, and over time, that you know that that can be built up and and can help people.
0: Mm-hmm. Many of the um, I suppose kind of success or personal development style books talk about the idea of putting basically ten percent of your earnings away. Is that the sort of thing? That you're yeah, so no, about? I I, I would of... say
1: so, and and I I certainly I you know I, if if you do that in in your you do that in your 20s it, it, it will you know build, build up over time if you if, if you invest it well it can yeah. can, can grow up, grow a lot more and uh, I, I, again for younger people they're probably more in touch with some of the growing trends. I mean I, I think even while the stock market may may not carry on doing over the longer term what it's done in the past and um, but it's done that over a very long period of time but even just within that, uh, there are clearly a lot of, you know, incumbent older businesses that you probably don't, you know, f- feel. Plenty of, plenty of younger people may feel that the oil giants mm. won't outlive them, or, or uh, you know, will pass peak car, peak oil, mm. uh, peak high street retailer, and so on. So mm. they can probably focus some of their investments on the things that are are growing, or funds that that look for that, and and in in other things that are going to. You know, going to grow more more rapidly, or even in other markets. I mean, the the growth rate in countries like you know six percent a year in Vietnam and some of these other places, you know, uh, mm-hmm. is, is, is throwing up a lot of a lot of opportunities. So, I think, I think the the growth may come in different parts of the market, different parts of the world in future. But uh, you know, I think the, the basic. Premise that, uh, that there can be a, a return on savings. And if you put it aside earlier on, you, you can afford to take mm-hmm. some, some risk with that uh, as, as well.
0: Excellent. I've got a few questions. Uh, they're slightly kind of larger philosophical types uh, yeah. of questions. Um, the first of which is essentially about your purpose in life. I mean, what do you feel has been your, your kind of purpose?
1: Um, I, 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 I've been very fortunate that from a relatively young age, I've been able to pick the other people I work with and, and have a lot of control over that. Not everyone does, but mm. I, I, so I, I've always thought it was important to be doing what I enjoyed and, and you know, to quite a reasonable extent to, to work with people that, I, that yeah. I want to work with and so on as well. So, I, But even for those that go down a different career path, I don't think that's a... You know, as a bad bad thing to do, and you spend a lot of time, you know, and nonetheless at work, people have a lot more opportunities to mix and match things now. But I, uh, you know, I think the, I think they uh, should, as far as they can, you know, try try and uh, and try and keep it something that they 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 enjoy. I, I think there's much more understanding now about continuing education and personal development. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know. Even if you do stay within one industry, I broadly have, although it's moved from insurance to investment, I, there have always been other things that have been, you know, be, been there to learn. The behavioral finance, there's other things now and so on as well that that I, I've I've continued trying to learn and I found useful in my job. But I think generally the behavioral finance psychology is useful in a lot of other things in in life mm-hmm. and so on as well. And and I've tried to keep a, abreast of a. Technology and so on, as well, social media and other uh, and other things. So mm-hmm. I, I think I think there's a a lot of things that uh, you you can continue to learn and and might might be useful. So I think I think putting that commitment, I've always done some other things, either a uh, you know on charity boards or or working you know uh, uh, the professional bodies that you mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. I have done things with with the actuaries and so on as well, running investment conferences and so on. So. A lot of a lot of those things give you different opportunities for development, you know, for working with different groups and perhaps in a not-for-profit way or yeah. running other enterprises. So, uh, I think uh, it all depends. Some people, you know, it depends what time they've got free from, yes, exactly. You know, particularly for for women in careers, from you know uh, working with with families having time out, people have just got to work all that into their lifestyle. But mm-hmm. I think they're a there are ways of, of keeping your perspective broad and of keeping learning. And, uh, you know, of, of, uh, so I think, I think that's, you know, yeah. I, I, it's been an important part of, of keeping that perspective and resilience through the career because yeah. there, there certainly are periods in investment where you just don't want that to be all you do, you know, really. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> is, is there anything on reflection now that you would have done differently? I,
1: I, I think in terms of a, I, I certainly could have retired much much earlier. You know, <laughs> you know I, I, I could have and i sort or of changed my lifestyle more then. And I certainly have you know, stepped back a step back a bit. I don't. I mean, I enjoy investment too much to really want you know, want to have done that. But, mm-hmm. but I, so. From that point of view, I, I, I suppose I could probably have have scaled back some of my activities. You know, a lot of it then, and broadened out as I, I mentioned it to you before when we we're, were chatting. That I probably spend a bit a third of my time in other sort of you know extracurricular activities, which is you know broadcasting, writing, professional bodies, non-executive directorships, and other things that that mm-hmm. uh, that take me take me out of. My my day to day job that are quite interesting and and you know I enjoy doing. So I, I think that uh, I think keeping that going, I could probably have of uh, stepped that up a bit more. You know, <laughs> uh, earlier on, I I did uh, I, I did also plans which I'm now trying to uh, you know fulfill in writing a book rather than just just writing articles <laughs> and, and and academic texts and so on. And uh, I could have maybe done that, that that earlier, you know. Those sort of things would would be nice, but I, I, I'm a, uh, you know, not not everything works out exactly as you plan. But that's mm. that's you know, that's no bad thing. As I say, the resilience is. You just really have to accept <laughs> those things as as they are. You know, there's only a certain amount you can plan an investment. Um, other than that, no, no, I, 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 I feel. You know, quite comfortable with those those decisions. I, there are yes, other different routes I could have gone down. I, I don't think, I don't think for me working you know for a big corporation was really my thing. I might have spent more time, I would say, travelling earlier on because I've I've done much more of that in the last ten years. Mm-hmm. And um, it, it's it's been a real pr- privilege to 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 not just travel but work with investment professionals in in different. Places. I mean, in just in the last couple of months, I've been in 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 uh, Warsaw, Bucharest, Ho Chi Minh cities, you know, uh, and so on. Yeah. And uh, I, I'm I'm still fascinated by that and by just seeing how other people go on with their lives and what the opportunities are there. And yeah. I sort of, uh, you know, I I, I I do think that uh, uh, maybe after people. Invest in their education and development early on. I would say, I would say, really get some travelling in while you're in your thirties and forties and so on, yeah. and, and and try and do it in a level in which you can really connect with some different lifestyles and and ways of the world. I think hmm. I think that that ultimately does help a lot.
0: In what way do you think travelling has impacted your horizons or your world view? I,
1: I, I think I see. I see a lot of investment opportunity in some, you know, some other parts of the world. I also, you know, understand a bit more some of the constraints that they operate in, so mm-hmm. that growth's not not coming, you know, immediately or not without without problems. Um, so uh, it, it it does it does open up up horizons, and but I think also gives a better perspective on on life on life here. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. I. I, I you know, we we you know, talked earlier on about capitalism, and you can see <laughs> that there are there's an awful lot of you know our life here's about 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 that. Um, having we we um, you know spent spent last summer was over three weeks, you know, and around Thailand and so on, and you you start to you you see that outside the main city, you know, there are there are plenty of places there where. Uh, people have a, a good lifestyle that's a lot less material, you know, in 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 a way than than, yeah. than we have. But is is nonetheless, I think, uh, in some ways, an enviable you know lifestyle too, <laughs> you know. So so uh, and uh, and for that matter, you know, parts of India and so on, I, I find en- enviable as as, as well. Uh, there's a I, I would say there's a richness of culture in some of these uh, countries yeah. and. Uh, uh, I, um, I i think there's a lot to a lot to learn from people's approach to life uh, you know there is as, as well i i, I think uh, i i would characterize you know what i see in in a uh, particularly in places like taiwan and so on as 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 being a uh, you know, d- very dignified individuals, in the sense of the the mutual respect and and uh, self com- composure and, and and so on. So mm-hmm. I, I think there's we 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 move very fast, and sometimes have poor relationships. You know, I think in mm-hmm. in, the, in the West, and and uh, mm-hmm. I think in some other countries, not just the pace of life, but the the approach to life and to individuals. I think there's. I think, had I travelled earlier, I might have learned much more of that.
0: (laughs) How would you like to be remembered? What would you like your legacy to be?
1: I'd I'd like to to think, I mean, away from family and other things, because clearly that's an an important Mm -hmm. part of of what's left. But, you know, I, I, I have, in the work I've done, particularly within the investment profession, tried to progress. I've, I've uh, just finished writing some some material for them on professionalism and, and ethics mm-hmm. and uh, I've tried to change the. Uh, well, I think the organisation's approach overall to, to making mm-hmm. investment globally more of a, a professional with behaviour standards and, and ethics globally. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there are signs that some of that is taking root and I see a, a big appetite You know, as I travel around. I, I see that as it's what many young professionals want. You know, they 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 want to be in an industry that is going to make a difference, that's going to change things. Yeah. Uh, they want a, what they do in investment to help improve people's lives, as I say. You know, pensions and savings can do, but 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 also to improve the growth of their country. And for many of these countries, where they if they can a uh, if they can start to price some of the capital and, inv- and opportunities, it will attract more inward investment, and that will help their, their country's growth. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I see I, I see a, a, a lot of uh, professionals uh, have have a genuine interest in seeing what they can do for society with what they've they've learned, mm-hmm. and uh, I, I I think if I've been one of those who've helped contribute to. Embedding within yeah. all that we're teaching on investment skills that, that it has still got to be professional and, and and ethical and that it has it, it is not something that's detached from society as part of how society grows. Yeah, I you know I think I think that's been an important thing for me to be contributing to, mm-hmm. and I'd like to think that I've, I've helped make a little bit of change in that.
0: Yeah, I think that's fantastic. I think it's yeah. admirable, excellent. Thank you what's the best piece of advice you've ever received oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I um
1: I, I don't know I, I get a lot of I mean with different people that I've worked with like Sir John Templeton mm-hmm. I get a lot of of a of good advice he certainly <laughs> always told uh, told me that you know when you interview companies you know you you just trying to. The, he always said company management's were knew much more about their own business than you will ever know, and so you're always going to get smarter answers. You know, just just trying to, hmm. you know, I, I pick their brains and in individual things. You're not, you're not, mm-hmm. you know, you're, you're always going to be so impressed with that. So, I think uh, I I wouldn't I've put Sir John in the sort of behavioral investing camp overall, but but <laughs> he he did give me some very good insights on on a. On, on on behavior um Um. My, my father always said to me i mean one of the phrases he, he used was noblesse oblige which he didn't mean that it came from any particular nobility, but he did mean that if you had any and it wasn't just the the, the 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 privilege of your of your knowledge or other things but if you have an opportunity to do something you really are obligated to do it that, that hmm. you have a you have a, an ongoing obligation to use not just whatever talents, but, you know, opportunity and relationships and other things. You you, you should use them for, for good and and if you're in a position that others are not to make a difference, you really you know, it, it, it you have to step up. You know, so mm-hmm. uh, so I I, I suppose I, I do believe that there's, <laughs> that that there's an obligation. You know, comes with with whatever you you believe that your position or abilities or things are to, to think that you uh, you know you you have to sort of make a difference in, and do do the right things. So, I suppose I've uh, you know that that has encouraged me never to, feel I should be a bystander in something where mm. I but 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 I uh, you know I should, I should actively look you know, look at whether the opportunity is there for, you know, for a reason or whether I'm, if I'm uniquely placed, you know, to fill that, I, I, I should step up.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> How do you define success? Um,
1: there's there's little point in viewing that just in, in financial terms, you know. I, I think, um, uh, so... I think I think people have to be comfortable. I mean, not people are not going to be happy all the all the time what they're <laughs> doing. You know, that's maybe maybe a, fo- a, a false goal. But I, I think people' uh, su- successes if you a uh, if you are comfortable with what you've, you know, achieved. I don't mean comfortable in a financial living sense, but if I think people have to be comfortable in their own skin, you know, they have to, yes. you know. So I think I think having that sense of, of them, them, uh, I, I think being comfortable with their own identity and feeling that they... Uh, I, I do think for, for everyone, you know, authenticity is what matters. And I think, you know, I, you can define that in different ways, but I think people sort of, have to feel they're they're authentic that that what they're doing represents hmm. some sense of of personal mission mission or standards that they've they've set but they have to feel that there are characteristics that that they that they have that represents their authenticity and hmm. and be true to that in all they all they do so i i think a, a lot of the you know key key goals really have to be and it's has become much more much more a thing now that you have to manage that online and everything else. But I think mm-hmm. in their lives, people, people have to to be to be a, a, authentic and and, a, and stick to those aspects of their, their personal mission and character mm. that they think best define them and yeah. stick to that.
0: Mm. If you had the opportunity to speak to your 20-year-old self, what would you say? I... Um,
1: Probably don't worry so much about, about things, you know. In a, in, a, in a sense, I'm not an actual worrier, but I, hmm. you know, I, I I think people can be comfortable with a lot of different life paths that come out. Obviously, you should do as much as you can to to intervene them, but I I I, I think it's a it's a lot easier when you're younger to think of things being a single career goal or single path, mm-hmm. and uh, actually deviating from that path doesn't matter. You know, quite, quite so much and, you know, may create a different version of you in future. And that includes whether people do voluntary work, take time out, do further education, yeah. shift career or, or other things. You know, I, I think it, uh, it matters a lot less to see things in that, that, that linear way because uh, you probably end up feeling comfortable, you know, at the end of the day with, with a lot of different, you know, so you've got to feel comfortable with your own choices. But mm-hmm. you probably, you know, I, I think there's, a lot more choice i certainly didn't feel that you know in the early stage that if i wanted to go and set up a business or anything else i could deviate too much but you know it, it i see plenty of people who have who have travelled or spent quite a bit of time working abroad or working in quite a different area or whatever and they've mm-hmm. ended up uh, as peer you know investment professionals and or you know in, in interesting roles and so on so mm-hmm. so uh, you know i think there's a i think there's a lot of other you know different routes end up you know, the same way and i think people probably have more flexibility and more choice yeah. you know earlier on than they really think they have at the time
0: if you could change anything in the world what would it be and why
1: I, <laughs> that's a that's a <laughs> that's a, a a tough one I, I think a lot of a lot of Countries at the moment feel let down by politicians and by by governments. And there's an overall questioning. I think we will see a questioning over the next few decades about democracy and, and whether it, it delivers the result people want. So hmm. I suppose uh, I think an awful lot of the issues that there are about distribution of poverty and other things, you know, sort of come from whether mm-hmm. we can get leadership, you know, political leadership that, yeah. that will properly reflect what. You know populations want and if we can get populations together to try and broadly want some of the same things or find out what they do have in common that that, that they want so mm-hmm. I so I think the big challenge is really making democracy work if we can if we can make that work we could fix a lot of a lot of the other things that are there and, and mm-hmm. if we could get the right the right politicians to to show true <laughs> true leadership then I think we you know as society we could work our way out of some of the the problems we've we've got so so some there there seems to be a a gap between the the direction we go in and some of those problems come from that and and what people really want and it doesn't seem to to sort of join up in the in in the particular version of democracy that we have in the west yeah
0: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) great answer colin it's been fantastic speaking with you Um, i've thoroughly enjoyed it and some of your answers are yeah absolutely brilliant really really good so thank you so much for your time
1: I've enjoyed that too, thank you.
0: (laughs) Okay, cheers. You've been listening to Inspired Edinburgh. If you enjoyed this, please subscribe for more powerful conversations. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our show, and we'll see you at the next episode.